reflection on how green was my valley, the picture that would win him his third Best Director Academy Award in seven years, to step away from his thriving career and request a transfer from the Naval Reserve to active duty. Was it lingering shame at having failed the entrance exam for the Naval Academy at Annapolis as a high school student a quarter of a century earlier? Was it embarrassment about having missed America's entry into the First World War in 1917 when he was busy trying to break into the movie business as a stuntman, actor, and fledgling director? Ford's motivation was an enigma even to those closest to him, his wife, the colleagues with whom he made movies, and the drinking buddies at his favorite haunt, the Hollywood Athletic Club. Is the ace director tired of the tinsel of Hollywood? One news story queried. Ford seemed to delight in withholding any explanation at all, burnishing his public image as a taciturn and cryptic man by accepting an invitation to be interviewed about his decision and then declining to offer anything more expansive than, I think it's the thing to do at this time. It may have been that simple. A sense of duty, combined with a fear of how he might feel if he shirked it. That September, he had boarded a train for Washington, D.C., predicting misery and remorse for the able-bodied men in Hollywood who were still waiting, wondering what the war would mean, and hoping the draft might leave them untouched. They don't count, he wrote. The blow will hit them hard next year. He checked into the Carlton Hotel, hung his uniform in the closet, and installed himself in his modest room with its single window of old runny glass, stacking a couple of books on the bureau along with his pipes and cigars, and living out of an open wardrobe trunk. He had the air, wrote a reporter who visited him, of a man who might set out to sea with an hour's notice. In fact, that was just what he was thinking, and even hoping. As Ford awaited orders from his mentor, Intelligence Chief Wild Bill Donovan, his mind was only on what was to come. Things are moving apace here, he wrote to Mary, admonishing her to avoid the needless expense of late-night long-distance calls to him whenever she felt lonely or sad or angry, and telling her of the hum of preparation and excitement that the city was experiencing. It would take volumes to say what I think of your unselfish, courageous attitude in this present emergency, he added as he awaited her arrival in the capital. Words literally fail me. I am very proud of you. When Mary finally joined her husband in Washington, Ford gave his wife of twenty-one years something she had always wanted, a proper Catholic wedding ceremony. It was a preparatory gesture, a gift before what they both knew might be a long separation. And when the moment finally came, Ford and the men he trained, who had been streaming into Washington in the last few weeks, could barely contain their enthusiasm. Just hours after the news of Pearl Harbor broke, his photo unit recruits began showing up at the Carlton, knocking on the Ford's door, wanting to know what was going to happen next. The drinks started to flow, and as dusk fell on December 7th, 
Ford and his men welcomed America into the war with cocktails. The sense of urgency that had led Ford to upend his life wasn't shared by most of his colleagues in Hollywood until that December Sunday. William Wyler was at home in Bel Air the morning of Pearl Harbor, playing tennis with his friend John Houston. Wyler was a few weeks into shooting Mrs. Miniver, a drama about the gallantry of one middle-class British family and the inspiring home-front unity of their traditional village in the face of what, until that day, Americans still felt comfortable referring to as the war in Europe. Houston, who was Wyler's junior and in many ways his protege, was riding a wave of acclaim as his breakthrough directorial debut, The Maltese Falcon, was opening around the country.